Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 Tune in as Jason Longshore gives you insight and analysis on the beautiful game, including headlines from around the world of soccer. Rebound, goal! This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight, brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta soccer tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. It is a U.S. women's national team special because they kick off in four hours from now. Yes, 3 a.m. from New Zealand, the U.S. women's national team final group stage match against Portugal. And it's a big game maybe some of the conversation around it might lead you to believe that it's an easy game i'm not so sure our special guest tonight i believe is not so sure as well jessica charman hanging out for the entirety of the show jess we we've been talking about this portugal is in their first world cup yes the u.s has never lost to portugal that's also true but this is a portugal team that tied england before the world cup this is a Portugal team that has only conceded eight goals in their last 12 games. Very good defensive team, and they have everything to play for because if they get a win, they can move on to the next round. I think we have to put some respect on the Portuguese name. It's not like the U.S. women's national team is playing their best soccer at the moment. If they were, perhaps you'd be feeling a lot more confident, but I don't think they've shown in their first two games the utmost dominance that you have associated with the U.S. women's team for previous years. And for Portugal, they're organized. They're very good defensively. The U.S. hasn't been clinical with the opportunities that they've had, which is another area of concern, which mismatches with the style of the Portuguese, who are very good defensively. I think, sure, on paper, you look at them, you look at their rankings, and you think, okay, should be confident for the U.S., but from what we've seen from both these two sides in their first two matches of the tournament, I think it's going to be an extremely competitive match. And the U.S. is going to have to be on their A game if they're going to pick up a result like a lot of the pundits are predicting. I think the U.S. is definitely favored. And I think it is a safe prediction to say that the U.S. will win. But it's not even that simple, really, when you get into this game because of what has happened in this tournament so far. 
The U.S. and the Dutch are at the top of the group on four points. The U.S. has a better goal differential coming into this, but the Netherlands play Vietnam. Vietnam has been very difficult to break down for the for the U.S. Also for Portugal, three three nil win for the U.S. A two nil win for Portugal, but it's game three for Vietnam. The Dutch know that they really need all the goals they can find, and they're not going to stop attacking. And the U.S. has to be scoreboard watching even if they win because the Dutch can make up that goal differential and then things get really topsy-turvy as the rest of the night slash morning goes on. Absolutely, Jason. And I think with regard to Vietnam, they've fought their hearts and souls in these matches. They've defended well. They've looked organized. They've impressed us far beyond maybe what we expected just based on some of the results they had coming into the tournament, including that 9-0 loss to the Spanish side. They've held their heads high in all of their performances, but playing like that is undoubtedly exhausting. I think it could go either way for Vietnam. Either you see them put in the performance of their lives, like we've seen for some of these teams. I look at Zambia and the way that they fought in their last game to get their first victory in World Cup history for the Zambians. Or you've kind of exhausted all your resources. You've exhausted all of your legs, your energy, your fight, your desire, and the Dutch score a goal early your head drops and the floodgates open. If that happens, the U.S. is going to find themselves in a pretty horrible position knowing that they're going to have to up that level of scoring because, as you say, the path in the tournament really favors the U.S. wanting to pick up that first seed in this group. So far at this point, we know a few of the matchups when we start to get into the knockout round. And we know a few of the strong possibilities, let's say. And winning the group that the U.S. and the Dutch are fighting it out for, I think is really important because the winner of the group will likely play Italy. There is a possibility that it's South Africa or Argentina. It is most likely going to be Italy. The second place team in the group has to play Sweden who has been one of the best teams in the tournament so far. That's in the round of 16. So that's one thing to watch for. Also, there's more games if you are a total sicko and you're going to stay up all night or take naps in between. China and England at 7 a.m., along with Haiti and Denmark. England should be in a good position to win their group. But that second spot is kind of up for grabs. Denmark has the inside track to it, but it's not sealed necessarily. We've talked about England on our World Cup recap pods, Jess, and it's been good defensively for them. They haven't been tested too much in the in the defensive side, but they haven't conceded. They haven't scored many goals, though, and that's going to have to ramp up as they get deeper into the tournament. Two one-nil victories. That's great because of the clean sheets and as a defensive-minded respecter. I love that. <laughs> the fact that you've had those clean sheets, but Mary Ups has only had to make a couple of big saves and your defense that is a little bit more makeshift without Leah Williamson, of course, hasn't been tested to the extent I would have liked to have seen it tested in this tournament to make sure that you're ready for the next challenge because either way you get out of that group, as long as you get out of that group, you still got to take care of business. I think you really need to pick up a convincing win against China to roll that momentum into the group and out into the knockout rounds. But it's to me the concern is doing that without Walsh well, we know we haven't had a complete update on that injury just that she's staying around in camp which is encouraging it's not an ACL but who knows there's lots of other bad parts in a knee there's lots of other injuries lots of other areas concerns how quickly can she get back in 
to the roster because we've heard her describe the metronome of this team, that she is that beating heart in the midfield. And I'm really interested to see how this side looks with her out on the pitch, without her on the pitch rather, because like I say, she is such a vital player just mentally and physically. I'll be interested to see how England's able to adjust without her. I think there's questions uh, about the U.S. as well in terms of the lineup, in terms of, of possible changes, in terms of if Vlatko Andonovsky has all of his sub cards available to be able to write them down in case he wants to use more than one substitution. I, I, I'm being Apple? a little silly about that because I, you know, they were doing pretty well. I don't think you make changes just to make changes in the game. But from the start, I think there's two questions I have about the lineup. Trinity Rodman, a player that I think will be a longtime star for the U.S. women's national team. I don't think she's had a great tournament so far. I think the work has been great from her, but the quality has not been good enough. Does that open a door for Lynn Williams? Does that open a door uh, for someone else as well? Megan Rapino, for example, uh, or is Rapino purely going to be a, a later game substitution? So far, we've seen Rose Lavelle only from the bench. Is she able to start? And I thought Savannah DeMello was much better against the Netherlands. But she would be the one that would come out for Lavelle, I would assume, right? I would think so. I think DeMello's first game kind of put her in that cutting line, if I'm completely honest, because you're looking for consistency in the midfield. And she had a very nervous start to the tournament, understandably so. A lot of high pressure, not very inexperienced, uh, very inexperienced at the international level, of course. I thought in game two, she looked a lot more confident. She was going in for some of those big challenges. I think the physicality of that match, the energy of the match really suited her style of play and personality as a player. But if you can start Lavelle from the get-go, I think you have to. Just because of the energy she brings, the experience she brings, the organization she adds to that midfield. The players seem to know what they're doing around her a little bit more because of the experience of playing alongside her. It's one thing, bringing Lavelle in halftime and seeing the impact she made. If she is ready to go 60, you need to give her that from the get-go because this is a match that's very important against Portugal to set the tone early on to cut the Portuguese belief from the get-go because I think in this match, the longer Portugal feel like they're within a chance of getting it, the bigger their belief will grow and the tougher that opposition will become. If you're a very defensive-minded team like Portugal is in moments, the more that you're able to show that your method is working, the more belief that you have that you're going to be able to grab one against the run of play. If the U.S. is able to set the tone early to score an early goal, the heads will drop and the confidence will drop, and that's when the U.S. could be able to have some fun out there tonight. Let's get into Portugal a, a little bit because I, I don't think a lot is known about Portugal, and I, I don't think enough has been said about the quality of this team. They beat Vietnam 2-0 last time out. It was a 1-0 narrow loss to the Netherlands in the first game of the tournament. They were outshot 12-2. Uh, goalkeeper Enes Pereira made four saves in that. She did not start against Vietnam, and I don't know who's going to get the start in goal for Portugal. It was Patricia Moraes who got the start against Vietnam, and I'm, I'm not necessarily sure why. Um, Pereira wasn't expected to be the starter coming into the tournament, but she started game one. Earlier in the year, the scoreless draw with England right before the tournament, Portugal lost 2-1 to Japan back in April. They were outshot by England. I mean, it was 23-2, 
Pereira made eight saves in that game. Against Japan, Portugal took the lead and it ended up losing 2-1. That's two really top teams that Portugal was very difficult to break down against. And that's something that I think the U.S. has to be careful about in this one, letting them grow into the game. We're seeing scorelines with this Portuguese side. They're extremely respectable. You're not seeing them being blown off the pitch by teams that are blowing other oppositions off the pitch. Just look at how Japan is playing in this tournament. They are turning heads. And you have a respectable scoreline where you take the lead against them. These are scorelines that if I'm a U.S. fan, I'm thinking, okay, like they know how to play. They know how to suffer. When you see those stat lines with the fact that they're being outshot, they're comfortable in positions of adversity. It's very difficult. And I can say this as a former goalkeeper at times to be absolutely blasted by shots to not drop your heads. But when you're not conceding, when you believe in yourself, when you have a goalkeeper behind you, and I know you said there's a little bit of uncertainty about who's going to play in goal. That's an area that would have me a little bit nervous for Portugal just because putting a different goalkeeper in changes the chemistry, changes the style of play changes the freshness of the keeper as well. But if you are confident defensively, you become extremely difficult to break down. And like I say, the U.S. hasn't been clinical enough when they've been given chances. I look at that Vietnam game and how many chances they created and how many big chances were missed. They missed one big chance against the Netherlands as well. I remember that stat popping out to both of us in the post-game show. If you're playing against a side that is difficult to break down, that won't give you too many big chances, you cannot afford to miss big chances in a must-win game. You mentioned leadership in the back, and that's the strength of this Portuguese team. Tons of experience. Center back, Carol Costa. Right back, Ana Borges. Both over 150 caps. This is a team that's only conceded eight goals in their last 12 against all co- all opponents in all competitions. Um, it's also a team that can fight back, and this is maybe the element even if the U.S. gets an early lead to, to not go to sleep on, literally or figuratively, they came back from 2-0 down twice in the last Euros. Now, they weren't even supposed to be in the Euros. They were beaten by Russia in the playoffs to get to the tournament. Russia was then kicked out of the tournament, and Portugal got in with about, I want to say six weeks to maybe two months of time to, to prepare. They knew it was a possibility as all the, the conversations were going about how UEFA was going to handle that. So they were halfway getting ready, but they didn't really get the call until pretty late. They fell behind 2-0 to Switzerland, and we've seen what Switzerland's done in this tournament. They came back to draw 2-2 to get a point. They fell down 2-0 to the Dutch, came back to get it to 2-2, and then gave up a third goal and ended up losing 3-2. It's a team that has that combination. They are mostly defensive because there is a talent gap. But when they get into the attacking half, they have a star in Jessica Silva, the number 10. Uh, Great in the 1v1s. She's 28 years old. She's with Benfica now. Scored 17 goals in 17 league games last season. Had previously been an NWSL in Kansas City. And what jumped out to me watching them in this tournament Their combination play in the attacking half and in the attacking third is really good for a team that is very defensive. When they do get into those areas, they can find the combinations to create opportunities. And look at those teams that they're scoring multiple goals against. We talked about the Swiss being so hard to break down in this tournament, being so 
well-organized, compact defensive, and you're able to score a brace against them. The Netherlands, we've just seen how good the Netherlands can be defensively as well. Obviously, the U.S. only able to score one, and that came off of a set piece. So I think that they have goals. And what I like is the balance of this side. You talked about the talent gap, and it's understandable, but they seem to have balance. They know their identity. They know where their strengths lay. And if you keep a game close with your defense, that helps your offense feel very confident because they always feel like they're going to have an opportunity to change a game because a game is never put to bed. It's never out of reach because they're not going to be a side. And who knows? The U.S. will hope so. And you just never know what happens with this U.S. women's national team. But they're not a side that usually lays down and gets beat 5-0 and a game is out of reach for them. I feel like I should have set a secret phrase of the day in honor of Pee Wee Herman. And I know I'm really dating myself and, and you probably have no idea what I'm talking about right now, Jess. Uh, just smile and nod. It's okay. Um, set pieces. Set pieces are going to be a big issue here because the U.S. is very good on set pieces. Portugal, not so much. And that is the big glaring potential opening for the United States in this. Now, the U.S. has dominated Portugal historically. They've won all 10 games. Portugal's never scored against the U.S. The U.S. has scored 39 goals against Portugal. It's the most games against a single opponent without ever conceding in U.S. women's national team history. But like we've said, this is not the same Portugal. And this is a Portuguese team that is comfortable sitting back and waiting for their few opportunities. And it's also a Portugal team that, look, they have to win. They, they, they can't get through with a draw because you expect the Dutch to beat Vietnam. So they have to win. Even if they go down 1-0, even if they go down 2-0, they've shown in major competitions that that doesn't scare them. So all the talk about the U.S. shouldn't worry about Portugal or they have nothing to fear about, uh, about Portugal or this game doesn't matter, they can only beat themselves – that conversation has to stop in the women's game. There has to be more respect for more players, more teams. And it's not that the U.S. isn't good. It's that the competition is so much better than it the used to be. The head start that the U.S. has had yeah. for 20 years on everybody else is no longer a head start. And that's the difference. Mm -hmm. I think... Americans and even me like I always grew up idolizing the U.S. women's national team because it was the place to be it was the place to play the U.S. was the place where professional women's soccer was attainable nowhere else in the world did it well that's not the case anymore and I think sometimes these storylines become ingrained in our mentality we connect the U.S. women's national team with the cream of the crop with the very best with the advantage with always being the favorite and I still think they're the favorite, and rightly so, coming into this tournament as the two-time reigning champions. But that gap is no longer factual, and that becomes a quite dangerous mentality to have as a fan when you think you are indestructible, when you think you are the elite, and you forget that the rest of the world has caught up with the investment and with the talent gap. And I think that's where the naivety plays in sometimes where uh, a lot of people came in saying it was the U.S. and nobody else. That Who was going to stop the U.S.? Well, uh, I think there's a lot of teams that want to stop the U.S. and believe that they can stop the U.S. There's a lot more to get into into this game, but there's also been other games going on in the tournament. There's also been this little competition going on around the country called the League's Cup. We're going to get into all of that, get you caught up on all the soccer worldwide 
right after this on AST on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker worker of yours. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Back to more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Live talking U.S. Women's National Team with that kickoff about three hours and 39 minutes away now. Oh, man. I don't know how everybody's going to do this. I've been watching how people are, are going to handle this. Are they going to just stay up and power through it? Are they going to take a nap? I think some people might be napping now. Maybe you're listening to this right before the game's about to kick off. Maybe this is your pregame show. Hopefully, we will give you some good information as we go. It's Jason Longshore along with Jessica Charman. And Jess, we got to get caught up on the other games that happened in the tournament since we spoke last. And who Canada. What in the world happened to our Canadian friends? 4-0 lost to Australia. They are the first reigning Olympic gold medalist to be eliminated before the quarterfinal of the next World Cup. The first ever to not make it out of the group stage. This is crazy. Oh, I told you I had question marks. Uh, I just did. I just didn't think we had seen enough from them, enough firepower going forward. I didn't think they would leak four goals. I thought defensively they had enough experience in that back line. I thought they had a solid enough goalkeeper in Kaylin Sheridan as well, but it was a bad night at the office for everyone on that pitch. It was a bad tournament. I do think that we have to give the players on the pitch a little bit of grace just for everything they're going through with the Federation, for everything that's playing on their minds. But they as professional soccer players, they with the experience that they have in that locker room would have wanted to do better and it's just a sad scenario 
for the Canadians. But let's not take away from the Aussies how well they came out and showed out. And we talked a lot about Sam Kerr and the presence that she brings. And I think she added confidence just by being on the bench. But this was an ideal, ideal scenario for the Matildas to give Sam Kerr a rest and not even need to have to stoop to give her that time. They get the victory, an emphatic victory. They get the momentum at home. They get the belief back in. And now they're going to have a fresh Sam Kerr with an extra recovery period under their belts. They're going to be a side now that's looking to prove a point and make up for a shaky start to the tournament. Yeah, now they're back to where I thought they would be coming in before we knew about the Sam Kerr injury. I had them going to the semifinals. And now with this kind of momentum, and if you can get anything out of Sam Kerr in moments, this is a team who can get there. But let's let's do just a little bit more on Canada here. You mentioned the, the Federation, and for those who don't know, they have to take a lot of blame for this. I mean, the, the suits didn't play the match, and you can't just completely absolve a poor performance from the, the players and the coaching staff and all of that. But the Federation, we've heard about the preparation or lack thereof, the financial issues, the lack of new deals for the women's national team. I mean, the men's national team's dealing with it too, but I think where it shows up the most is in 2023, Canada has played four games before the World Cup. Three of them at the She Believes Cup, a tournament they did not organize, that they were invited to, and they played in. They played one more match against France in April. That's it. Just for no comparison. No send-off game uh, no, as well. No like, game. That makes no, me so sad. It just feels like... It was one of those where the Federation said, hey, we don't care. Like, And I know it's not their fault, but that's a message it sends out to the community a little bit, to the players. It feels yeah. like there isn't that same level of importance put on the fact that you need preparation games. When you compare it to other teams coming into this that played full realistic preparation games, that got minutes under their belts against other competition, that were able to gain chemistry. This looked like a side that didn't have competitive minutes no. together, that didn't have training you know, camps together. And I think the preparation failed them. But I also think, and I think we have to emphasize as well, when you have players like Sinclair on the pitch, where you have NWSL professionals on the pitch, when you have players with lots of caps, they needed to do better for themselves as yeah. well. It was an underwhelming performance. Yeah, 100%. Um, the Canadian men didn't have great preparation for the World Cup either. Remember, they didn't even have new uniforms. That wasn't even something that was being discussed with their provider, Nike, at that time, because I guess they didn't think they would qualify, and they didn't have any. I think they were the only team in the tournament to not have something new for the World Cup. Just craziness. Um, two goals in three games, that's what doomed Canada in this tournament. They were too direct at times. They had too many players who were either you know coming back from an injury or not playing regularly at their club. They don't have a domestic league. Um, a lot of Canadian players obviously play in the NWSL, but you know this was something that it took the Canadian men a while for them to develop a large enough base of players to get to the point that they are, where they're they're one of the top teams in Concacaf. The Canadian women have been there because their players have come through the U.S. collegiate system a lot, and they've played in the U.S. leagues. But there aren't any Canadian teams in the NWSL, and there's talk about starting a league. 
And when you get past, when you get into that issue where you don't have players playing at the club level on a regular basis, you have injuries, and you need to turn to somebody who is maybe in good form playing in the domestic league, you don't have that option for Canada. And I, I think it showed in this this tournament. Now they've they're not really out of it out of the woods yet with everything going on with the women's national team. There's talk about Christine Sinclair and this being her last World Cup, which I think is true. But you're probably going to need her in a very big set of games coming up in September. They're not automatically qualified for the Olympics because of the CONCACAF qualification process, even though they're the defending gold medalists. They have a home and away coming up with Jamaica in September with a spot on the, at the Olympics on the line. And that's not a gimme for Canada right now. No, that has to be everything that you're focusing on at this point. You've plummeted out of the group stages. It's a horrendous moment for you. And now you have to save face a little bit to make sure that you're able to qualify for the Olympics because otherwise it's a long, long wait for another world stage moment. Four years, World Cups come around. This is kind of your filler with the Olympics. You want an opportunity to restore faith in your team, to restore a little bit of respect because I think that particularly with the level of this defeat as the last game on the world stage, you want to regain the world's trust that you are a powerful nation when it comes to playing. But you're right, without a domestic league, you're not able to cultivate your homegrown players in the same way. You're not able to build a squad depth, to build almost an allegiance to your Canadian team as well, because you don't have as many players that are rooted in that Canadian you know, pride at the same time. And I think it showed. And I feel really bad because for Sinclair, you just listened to her in that post-game show. And mm -hmm. she handled it so well, talking about how we're a team. You know, we win gold medals together and we get blown out of the group stages together. And she will be a huge miss. And I think that realistically, let's be honest, 40, how old will she be at the next? Uh... 44. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, stranger things have happened, but I don't yeah. think she's going to do it based on how she looked in this tournament as yeah. well. I think it, it, it's time, but that is a generational player that will be very difficult for Canada to replace. And they're probably looking around right now yeah. at players that played in this tournament thinking, goodness gracious, what are we going to do without her? Yeah, you're going to need her in those games in September. And maybe that is the send-off for her to honor her career is the home leg of that and hopefully going out with a win. But it's not going to be easy with Jamaica at all. Um, Australia wins the group. Nigeria came in second because of their draw with Ireland. Maybe a little disappointing, a scoreless draw. Ireland was already eliminated. The opportunity was there to win the group. They couldn't take advantage of it. The Irish defense was very, very good. Um, maybe a little bit of disappointment in Nigeria not taking advantage of that big opportunity. I think so. They had the opportunity to control their own destiny in a way. And I think that we talked about Ireland wanting to play spoilers. We talked about that being an opportunity for the Irish to kind of save face a little bit as well and get to show what they can do. And they were organized defensively. They made it difficult to break themselves down. But I think that slowed the momentum a little bit for the Nigerian side now. And you should probably be very happy with the Irish um, because of that draw. That probably makes it England-Nigeria, if England wins the group, as they should later this morning, instead of Nigeria winning the group and England-Australia in the round of 16, which would have been the alternative. 
Yeah, now that I've seen this third group stage game, I agree with that. Having seen how Australia were without the Sam Kerr presence, yeah. even on the bench, I was like, not too bad, not too bad. Now I'm realizing this is the Australian side that was able to defeat England for a good reason, because they do have that firepower, that organization, a lot of skillful players. They just seem to need the presence of their talisman and their captain on the bench to give them that lift to know that she was there in presence, able to be dressed. It's funny what a player can do, but it's kind of like the messy effect in a lot of ways mm -hmm. that just having him around you builds your confidence. That's what Sam Kerr is to the Matildas. And you're right. I think the lack of consistency that Nigeria showed in this group game and not being able to finish it does fill you with hope, but England's got to take care of business. And I'm telling you, I'm still a little bit nervous about it. I feel a little bit, of a parallel with how the US fans kind of feel. I think there's that kind of vibe in England as well, that this is a, a walk in the park, and I don't think it will be at uh, 7 a.m. this morning. Maybe the most surprising result of the tournament in in some ways, Japan just obliterating Spain 4-0. I couldn't believe it when I woke up to that one. No, I did not see that one coming. Japan takes first place in the group. Spain comes in second. They were both going through, but Japan just blows Spain out. And Japan did that on the counter. They had 23% of the ball and scored four goals and just ripped Spain up. And Spain players after the, the game were talking about how angry they were and just, just how ticked off they were after that performance. And don't forget this, and it's crazy to think that the Men's World Cup wasn't that long ago, first off. Still getting used to the fact that we had a World Cup between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But Japan did the same thing to the Spanish men. <laughs> In that game, they only had 18% of the ball, and they won 2-1. The two lowest percentages of possession in wins in recorded World Cup history, both Japanese teams, the men and the women, against both against Spain. Just crazy. Hey, it's a stylistic match that's made in heaven for the Japanese. It feels like Oof. that they know they take ownership, though. They they realize yep. that they're not going to see much of the ball. And when they see the ball, they're going to need to be direct. They're going to need to break them down. And the Spaniards couldn't handle the long ball. I thought defensively they looked a little bit shaky. They tried some offside traps that didn't pay off. They weren't able to handle the pace in and behind from the Japanese. The quality of the finishing, though, from Japan was Oof. wild. There was one that was deflected, but some of those top bins curlers were absolutely beautiful. And I understand why the Spanish are frustrated. It's disappointing anytime you get whacked off. It's disappointed anytime when you have so much of the ball and you're not able to utilize it. But hopefully this is a wake-up call and a reality check for Spain because we were talking about them looking so good so far in the tournament. This was the wake-up call that the defense got tested and they weren't able to break down the Japanese in the way that they wanted to. In a game that didn't matter for, for placement, uh, Zambia got a win. They won 3-1 over Costa Rica. Barbara Banda, who we had talked about a lot coming into the tournament, got a goal, got an assist, was named player of the match. Lowest-ranked team to win a World Cup match ever. Zambia got their win. It's not the tournament that they wanted. It's not the tournament that I think we, we thought they could have had after that win over Germany, but at least they get three points to, to finish off, and it's something you can build on for the future. Yeah, and it was a lovely moment watching them celebrate together, watching them get their goals. That assist was beautiful, like a no-look pass that split into the 18-yard box, got to see a little bit of Banda on the world stage. She'll be frustrated because I don't think she was able 
to demonstrate the caliber of the player that she is individually. And she's a very humble player that talks about the team and talks about how this is a team sport. But I still think when you know how much talent you have in your locker and you're not able to show it, it can be frustrating. But this is a big growing point for Zambia and to be able to come off of that win is great. And Costa Rica as well. I think they did themselves credit. I think they had some moments in there. They got their goal as well, which was nice. Zambia just had too much firepower going forwards. So we have to talk about the League's Cup a little bit, and I don't really want to after what we went through on Saturday night. I'm sure you probably do because, you know, Charlotte gets – they take care of their business against Nicoxa at home. We had to go through the agony of a penalty shootout, and I would love to get your goalkeeper perspective on that shootout. Atlanta United falling to Cruz Azul. It went to the sixth round. Juan Parata missed wide. Cruz Azul converted on their last kick, so they go through, and Atlanta United has a long time before they have a competitive match again. What do you think of the shootout? I think that... Everyone talks about shootouts and it being a moment for goalkeepers to shine, which is true. It's a moment for a goalkeeper to be a hero. But you become a hero because you're the underdog in a penalty shootout. And I think a lot of people see a penalty shootout and they think a goalkeeper should save one. Well, you're 12 yards out. World-class players taking penalties from 12 yards out. You favor the forward. You favor the defender every single time there. And I think that all you look for in a penalty shootout is one save or one miss from the opponent. If a goalkeeper can make a save or they can force a miss because of the mind games, because of the way that you've made the attacker think, then you've done your job and you have to try and focus on your attacking players, your top five to score your penalties. So I feel bad for Guzan because I know how tough it is. I also read some tweets. I don't know how true it is about lasers being shone in his eyes and these kind of things, which is absolute madness and, if you didn't already have a disadvantage, then that is absolutely wild to me. But it, it's tough. And I think for a goalkeeper, you're frustrated. You always want the glory. You always want to save a penalty, but you're the underdog in that one. And I also feel really bad having watched the Parata penalty because he was forced in a position where he's watched one of his teammates be made a save. So then he's trying to pick his spot. He's trying to put it in the place the goalkeeper can't make that save in the bottom pocket. And all it takes is a matter of small margins to miss. So... I'm disappointed because I'm not going to lie to you. A Charlotte-Atlanta matchup would have been yeah. match made in heaven. But uh, at least I've got someone to help me with my scouting report for our game on uh, Thursday. I've got your back on Cruz Azul after watching that game. Um, they didn't have a lot going forward, to be perfectly honest. They, they got a goal off a throw-in. And it took Atlanta a while. They finally got the equalizer, Tiago Almada, with some magic. Uh, but the shootout is just its cruel. Um, other League's Cup stuff to make sure that you know about. Seattle had a 2-0 lead early. First 10 minutes, they had a 2-0 lead at home against Monterrey, and they ended up losing 4-2. That turned around really fast. And then tonight, Columbus, after announcing that Lucas Zellerion is on the way out in a big transfer to Saudi Arabia, Columbus went out and pretty much dominated Club America 4-1. A big win for the crew and a big statement for them, we're getting into the knockout rounds of the League's Cup, and I'm sure we'll talk about that on Wednesday on stoppage time. 2 o'clock on the 92.9 The Game Facebook page. Myself and Mike Conti will break everything down from Atlanta and Cruz Azul and everything else going on in the League's Cup and Women's World Cup and anything else that happens between now and then. 
After this last break, we're going to come back. We're going to give you the keys to the match. The U.S. Women's National Team and Portugal kicking off in a little over three hours from New Zealand. We'll be right back on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. As we turn the corner into the new year, a lot of people are looking to get healthier. That includes Hero Bread, who have just launched their new recipe using heart-healthy olive oil. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. All with no compromise on the taste, texture, and bready goodness you expect from your favorites. Now they're listening to their fans and updating their recipe with olive oil, an antioxidant-rich oil that's been shown to reduce cholesterol and minimize the risk of heart disease. Try it today with code HERO10 for 10% off your purchase at HERO.CO. That's code H-E-R-O-10 for 10% off at Hero.co. When it comes to the world of soccer, we've got you covered. This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore. On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back. Final segment, Atlanta Soccer Tonight. A special edition, not that we're not here usually on Monday nights at 11. It's special because we have Jessica Charman hanging out in a Women's World Cup conversation ahead of the United States and Portugal tonight or this morning, depending on where you are. 3 a.m. Atlanta time. Um, I think it's noon, if I'm not mistaken, New Zealand time. I don't know. I'm so out of whack on the time zones with this tournament. This is a huge game. Because the U.S. does not have their spot in the knockout round nailed down. They do not. The scenarios for advancement, just to reset all of that in this group, the United States and the Netherlands, they're both on four points. They both advance with a win or a draw. Portugal, they have to win to advance. The battle for first and second, though, it's trickier. The U.S. and the Netherlands have a plus-two goal differential between them. The U.S. has that advantage based on the 3-0 win over Vietnam. That's who the Dutch play this morning. You would expect that the Dutch would put up some goals on Vietnam. How many? I don't know. You're going to have to do some scoreboard watching because the U.S. could win, the Dutch could win, and that goal differential could get flipped. And that would mean the U.S. would go into a knockout game in the round of 16, likely against Sweden, while the winner of the group 
would likely play Italy. That's a big gap in quality. Sweden obliterated Italy in the group stage game. This is a really weird situation, Jess, for the, the U.S. women's national team because I think typically, and I mean there's historical precedent to back it up, we take this kind of stuff for granted that the U.S. is going to make a deep run in the tournament. It's not going to be three games. It's not going to be just one knockout game. They've been to the semifinals every time at the World Cup. But this tournament is wide open, and the level of competition, and especially maybe the lower tier and the middle tier, it has risen up so much that this game is not a walkover for the United States. Not at all. And I think we're going to see a lot of big name sides that historically have been powerhouse in this game get knocked out in unsurprising or in very surprising areas of the tournament, quite frankly, whether that's England, whether that's the US, whether it's Brazil, all of these teams are teams that right now uh, are shaken and looking a little nerve wracking and not looking as convincing as we thought they would be coming into this Spain. All of these teams that have lacked the consistency that maybe we thought we would see from them either because of how they played coming into the tournament or how they played in their first games of the tournament. It hasn't been there. So it's wide, wide open. Sweden have looked so impressive, though. And I know you don't want to be thinking about the path. You've got to think about the journey ahead of you. But I think you would be a foolish not to really be determined to get that number one seed because I think that Swedish game is already very loaded historically mm -hmm. between the US and the Sweden. It's got a big bit of history. It's a rivalry if you've ever seen one. And I think it's vital to try and build momentum against this Portuguese side. But it's not a side you really want to face when goal difference is on the line because they are good about keeping results very close together. And they might even take a little bit of you know, solace in the fact that even if they do become a loser, they have the opportunity to kind of be a bit of a spoiler for the U.S. in not letting them run away with the game. Just to give you a sense, uh, uh, walking into this game in, in a few hours here, a little over three hours away now, you look at FanDuel Sportsbook just to get a sense of how they feel about this game. The U.S. minus 470 to win, Portugal plus 1,200 to win, the draw plus 490. Uh, draw is not enough for Portugal. I mean, even if they play really well and get that draw, they're not going through. That would almost certainly put the U.S. into second place in the group, though, and have to play Sweden. The other game, the Dutch, minus 8,000 to win, and Vietnam is plus 8,000 to win. Wow. Uh, draw is plus 3,500, and that feels accurate based off what we've seen so far. So for the U.S. to get this done um, – let me start when we get into these keys with asking you, who do you think the most important player for the U.S. women's national team is in this match? I'm going to go with Lindsay Horan based on what she did against the Netherlands, how she turned that match on its head, how she was able to lead the way with finishing that set piece by being the heart in the midfield by helping to control the tempo, helping to control the game. She has such an elite level IQ. She has an engine on her. And when she plays at her best, I think she raises the level of everybody around her on this squad. And I think that that's kind of why I would love to see Lavelle in the middle of the park with her, because I think we see the best Haran when we see the best, when we see Lavelle on the pitch with her. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that for sure. I just wonder how long Rose can go. 
in this just because we, we know she's coming back from injury. She hasn't been able to start yet. I think you have to start her because you have to start the match with momentum and try to break a team that, like we talked about earlier, isn't easily broken. They're going to keep fighting all the way through Portugal here. I think when you look at a very specific tactical element in this game, um, you look at Portugal, and when they do get forward, I mentioned they like to combine once they get forward. Jessica Silva, really good attacker, really good in the 1v1s, but they get numbers forward when they can. They're, they're really well coached in the sense that they're not purely defensive, even though they're a good defensive team. We see lesser teams a lot of times just park a bus. That's not the case. They will pick their spots to get forward. And usually when they do, it's their right back, Ana Borges, getting forward. She plays as an attacker at times in the club level at sporting. When she gets forward from right back for Portugal, that's when the U.S., that's when the green light has to come on to be direct. And I thought the U.S. in the second half against the Netherlands got more direct because they kind of had to. The, The Dutch press was really good. Portugal will normally won't press high. They'll press a little bit more in a mid-block, about three-quarters of the way up the field, maybe two-thirds of the way up the field. When Borges gets forward from right back and you turn Portugal over, green light, get direct, and you either go straight down the line for Sophia Smith with her speed, or you play to Alex Morgan and you flick it into space for Smith. I think that's the element of Morgan's game that has improved so much and makes her really important in this game. Those little flick-ons into space for Smith and Rodman or Williams or whoever's playing on the other side. Yeah, and being able to read the game, get into the right positions and link up. She has shown some good chemistry with Smith so far, and I think that's only going to grow the more time they play together. Uh, I want to see Smith show that tenacity, that we know that she has that willingness to run in behind the lines. You talked about set pieces well. Portugal is going to have to make one decision, right? They're either going to have to chop her down or let her run. And either way, the U.S. is feeling good about that. If they chop her down, set pieces, great opportunity for someone like Haran to come in. We've seen Julia be a very good target as well on set pieces. Would love to see Ertz get a goal. I think she deserves it for the fact that she's having to play somewhat out of position and doing it with grace and dignity as well. But it's an interesting matchup. And I wonder if Portugal may be a little bit tentative going forward at least early on in the match but at some point they have to put the eggs in the basket because like you said Jason they are well aware that a draw isn't enough and if the game opens up that's when the U.S. is going to be able to capitalize when Portugal know we've got to go we've got to push we've got to take that gamble that sacrifice that risk reward the U.S. may be able to capitalize on that high level of risk that Portugal are going to have to do by putting bodies forward to attack and the crazy thing is the U.S. is probably going to need that to happen because I just don't see how Vietnam is going to have their best match of the tournament in their third game when they're already eliminated. They haven't really rotated heavily in the tournament just because you don't have the quality to, to have that depth. I think it could be one of those games where if the Dutch get an early goal, there could be a lot of goals coming. And then that puts pressure on the U.S. to have to commit numbers forward and do that because the last two times the U.S. has played Sweden, the last two games, it was a draw and a friendly, and it was a bad loss at the Olympics. Sweden Mm -hmm. is not a team that you want to see in the round of 16. Not at all. And if that game opens up, 
I, I think the US needs a confidence builder as well. I don't know if they're going to get it. I think it's going to be very tough to get it against Portugal, but we haven't seen the best of the US yet. We haven't nope. seen free-flowing attack. We haven't seen clinical finishing. We haven't seen dominance in a game, even against Vietnam. Yes, there was dominance to an extent. It was Vietnam, but it wasn't the level of dominance that maybe we had thought this caliber of player could bring to the table. I have a feeling that Netherlands-Vietnam um, game could be a bad one for Vietnam, quite honestly. I still think they can take a lot of solace in how they perform for the World Cup, but I think there's going to be a level of fatigue, a level of disappointment, a level of tiredness. And I think the Dutch are going to feel really good about how they played in that first 45 against the US, but they're going to be disappointed they won't be able to put the game to bed. And they want to make sure they make a statement that we are still the number one seed in this group and we need to be the favorite ahead of the US coming out of this group stage. I have a feeling, and I don't feel like this is really like a getting it way out on a limb or anything here. I think the Dutch are going to win by four at least. Yeah. My feeling was five. If I'm completely, I, I thought uh, it was in that ballpark of, I don't think it's going to be the highest game of the tournament, but I think it's going to be close to that region. And again, what a credit that is to the women's world cup this year yep. that we're talking that being one of the highest score lines of the tournament. Yeah. That's definitely changed, but let's say it's, it's four then that means the U.S. has to win by two. If it's five, if the Dutch beat Vietnam by five, the U.S. has to win by three to stay on the same goal differential. There's a two-goal difference. Um, that's really, really difficult, and it's, it's going to be an issue in this game because I don't think – there's a lot of goals in this game between the U.S. and Portugal. The only way there is in my mind is if the U.S. gets a really early goal, like first 10 minutes or so, and Portugal gets nervous. That's the first only way I see key. that happening. I keep going to that feeling. The first 10 minutes of the match is key. If Portugal look good, if they're calm, if they handle any threat that the U.S. has, they will grow. They will feel good. They will feel that they can compete at this level. If the U.S. gets a corner in the fourth minute and the forehead of Lindsay Horan does what it does best and mm -hmm. nods it home, then that's when the heads of the Portuguese will drop and they'll realize they have a very long night left to fight. So I think it's going to be a, a very key first 10 minutes of this match. Look, I know everybody on the television broadcaster for this tournament has told you that this game is nothing to worry about. <laughs> I wish I had that kind of confidence. I think it's going to be a nervy couple of hours from New Zealand and Australia coming up here at 3 o'clock. You can watch the game on Fox 5. There is a two-hour pregame show starting at 1 a.m. in about an hour, <laughs> and then the game kicks off at 3 we're going to have another recap podcast on the Off the Woodwork podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. That's going to be on Thursday after all of the group stage games conclude. We'll kind of set you up for the knockout rounds. And then we'll be back live on 92.9 The Game Saturday night at midnight. Hopefully it's a post-game show after the U.S. Women's National Team round of 16 if they win the group. It might be a pregame show if they finish second in the group. It might just be a recap show if Portugal pulls an upset this morning. We'll be back on Saturday night. We don't really know what we're going to get into then. I hope you will join us, and thanks for joining us tonight. Have a good rest of the evening. Adios, everybody.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona. As well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in, these deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562 314 4603 for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.